This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 43. We've got uh, the three amigos, as always. We've got Rich Diaz, uh, the Tom Brady of macro, the pride of Montreal, and uh, Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. What's uh, what's new? Rich, you, you made it safe, safe and sound in Montreal. Safe and sound. Uh, drove through the eastern part of New Brunswick. Um, if you need a job, I know where you can find one. <laughs> it's actually a really a weirdly beautiful place. And I say weirdly beautiful because there's lots of RVs and, you know, I shouldn't hate on people RVs. Some of them, they're, they're very, very expensive, some of them. But it's just like, it's a mix between just gorgeous, gorgeous old homes from like 100 years ago. Then right next door is like an RV. And then right next door to that is a beautiful just beach that goes on for miles and miles and miles. Um, and I would definitely recommend anybody to drive up that part of the world. Everyone's really, really nice. Um, it's cheap to live there and there's jobs aplenty. So yeah, that's my, that's my travel advice for the, for the week. You know what I've always found interesting is like, you know, you're driving through like whatever, like neuro, rural New Brunswick. And the fact that we have just in general, we have like one, cpi inflation basket for all of canada because yeah, you're like well you're like what is the inflation rate in rural new brunswick versus like the metropolitan downtown core of toronto like you know what i mean like you're seeing obviously you know over the past what five to ten years the 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 rampant increase in house prices and rents and everything in, in the major cities and obviously you know a lot of stagnant uh, areas and in, in parts of canada where there's very little growth but Alas, I wouldn't that's... say I wouldn't say this is a stagnant part. I mean, it's it's clean. It's you know, I made a joke about the RVs. RVs are not cheap things to buy and own and operate. The you know these homes are beautifully situated. The lawns are manicured. It's a really like a, and it, I know it's not you know Côte d'Azur or the Amalfi Coast here, but it's 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 a really really lovely place to, to hang out. And like I said, everybody there I met was lovely, and they all tolerated my interrogations about the local economy. So, <laughs> like, who is this? Who is this guy? Did you, did you come up with any new pickup lines? 
Uh, no, 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 no pickup lines. <laughs> I tried, I tried a couple. They were not impressed by the impossible Trinity or financial oppression. So, Speaking but. of financial repression, you had a really good chart on Twitter because um, people were giving me a hard time about the whole financial repression. Uh, we'll, we'll throw it up here, but it was it Canada's despite the BOC's, you know, rampant uh, interest rate hikes here that we're still, what are, what are we're still running real negative rates in Canada of, of what, what are we running at negative 5%? Yeah, let's just say between four and five. There are different ways to calculate it. And somebody on Twitter actually had a really good response and or counter, which is if you use the market priced real interest rate, that we're quite a bit lower. So how do you calculate that? There's things called TIPS, which is a treasury inflation protected security, I think. I think that's what it sounds like. And um, and you can use market-based um, real interest rate pricing. So basically bonds that pay you for inflation um, and you can use that as your proxy for real interest rates and someone correctly pointed out that you know my methodology was sort of backward looking and you know I said well listen there's loads of different permutations and all but all this to say is that so depending on what you're looking at whether it's the one that I use which is core inflation versus you know a five-year bond or if you're looking at the gentleman's suggestion which is to use the market-based um, um, real interest rate, uh, they're negative. You know what I mean? It's still in theory, it's still, you still get paid to borrow. Um, and I just think that that's back to your point. That is what financial oppression sort of, that's one of, excuse me, that's one of the tenets of financial oppression. I don't know, Steve. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of getting paid to borrow, you know, good way to start the show up here with the, uh, the latest figures from the, you know, large parts of the Canadian housing market. Um, so I'll start off here in Vancouver. I think we chatted about this briefly. I kind of alluded to what the outcome was going to look like, uh, but greater Vancouver home sales, uh, 22 year low. So 22 year low few weakest, uh, fewest number of home sales in July. Uh, you'd have to go back to July of 2000, uh, to, to, to actually beat this number. So kind of gives, put things into context, especially when you start adjusting for the fact that, you know, these numbers aren't adjusting for the growth in population. They're not adjusting for the growth in housing stock. Uh, so to see that, and then, you know, you flip, flip it over and go to the, you know, the other large Metro in Canada, I really say like Canada, I think ultimately has two housing markets, Vancouver and Toronto. Those are what set policy, I think federally uh, Toronto, I think it was the fourth month now in a row where they've had 20 year low in home sales. So, I mean, it's really just what's happened here is you just have a very illiquid housing market. I mean, to suggest that, you know, I have to laugh when, you know, the BOC comes out and says, well, the housing market is, is going through a rebalancing. I mean, I just don't think, you know, 20 year lows in housing activity is like a rebalancing. I, I think that's something much more than that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, we're going to get to find out here, I think, in the next three to six months, how much pain central bankers are willing to tolerate. I think that's going to be sort of the theme of this week's show, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, quick note on uh, on the on Toronto as well. So the home price index in, in Toronto declined 3.9% in July from a month earlier. So basically, a 4% move in the home price index is really unprecedented. Um, it's actually the... Uh, Toronto's has they've posted the the worst four month decline 
since 2005. So the data, the home price index was actually created in 2005. So if you, of all the data that we have since we started accumulating these home price indexes since it was created, uh, it is the, the single largest four month decline um, in that area. So again, just to kind of summarize, you know, you've got 20 plus year lows in home sales. You've got the worst declines that we've ever seen on record. Uh, since that index was created. I think this is just showing that this is not a rebalancing. And so long as mortgage rates stay where they're at around the 5% range, I think there's more pain to come. And so really the crux of the conversation continues to be how, how sticky is inflation going to be, number one. And number two, our central banker is going to have to basically deviate to some degree away from their inflation targeting and start focusing on the economic ramifications of their interest rate hikes, which is how much pain are they willing to accept going into a recession? How deep of a recession will they tolerate before they have to pivot? And they might just have to pivot with inflation still at six and a half percent or whatever. Um, and that's certainly what the market is pricing in, um, you know, in the bond market, rich, I don't know, or, or Keith, I don't know if either of you want to chime in there. Uh, from what you're seeing, obviously, uh, you know, the two tens inversion, uh, you know, getting steeper and steeper here. So, well, yeah, I'll just go one out of the curve, but what's expected right now for the Bank of Canada and the Fed. So they're, they're lockstep now, you know, they're both at two and a half percent. We have the Bank of Canada coming up on September 7th. So it's not, you know, about a month out, you know, the long, the dog days of summer, right? Of August in the, the baseball analogy. Um, but they're both expected right now to be at three and a half percent at year end. So I know last week we were talking about, you know, what, what's, what path is the Bank of Canada going to take? So right now it's really pricing in 50 for September. And then either another 50 in October and then nothing or at 50 and then, you know, two quarters going through. And uh, we'll talk about why that's coming off as well and the fed is the same way so uh we i believe they're at 3.75 market expectations like a, a couple of weeks ago even so they've they've shaved off a, a little bit of rate hikes yeah right now the fed is expected to be at uh, like right now three and a quarter to three and a half that that's what's being priced in the market because what was really interesting with with the fed last it was last week right i think the fed yeah when they were out yeah um you know, it, it, it could have been interpreted that they were they were going to do their pivot you know, that we've talked about. And the market said, hey, you know, they're now going to turn dovish. They won't raise rates enough and, and stuff like that. And that's what the market went with, the narrative, or what the media would tell you. That's what happened. I mean, you, don't, you never really know why capital is moving in, in markets, one, one market to another. The media they always had to come up with a reason why it's happening. And it might be right or wrong. You know, you, you never know, but it, it's, it sounds, gives us something to talk about. But uh, what I always like to see happen is after a Fed meeting or a central bank meeting of any kind, Usually in, in the next few days afterwards, you're, you're getting members of that central bank that they're talking. They're either at a university talking or, you know, at, at, you know, at the Buffalo Club, you know. In the Goldman New York. Sachs lunch. <laughs> the Goldman Sachs elevator, you know, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and that's where they get to set things straight. So Powell and the Fed said one thing and the market reacted one way. 
Now, all of a sudden, the Fed is saying, oh, that's not the way we wanted you to react. So over the last couple of days, especially in, in the U.S. with the Fed, Fed members have been very aggressive. They're saying, hey, I think the market, they're saying, we, the market has got it this wrong in that we are still very hawkish. We're still going to raise rates. We think inflation is going to be high, and we're going to keep raising rates, and then inflation comes down. They didn't mention anything about growth or slowing growth or recession or employment or you know any of that. They really want to get away from that recession recession conversation, and instead of just you know they had to sort of you know steer the ship. So uh, it, again, I remember some guy reached out to me yesterday, and he said like, was the Fed trying to? You know, you, we use the term moral suasion sometimes. You know, it's an academic term. The, the central banks some, some, can sometimes guide the market without doing anything. And I said, well, it's, it's not really moral suasion at, at this point. What they want to do is make sure the market, and when they say the market, they're really referring to overnight money markets, right? Money rates. Because they want to make sure the commercial banks especially are always on side and they don't get caught by surprise. Because it doesn't no one any good for you know, a pretty significant commercial bank to be on the wrong side of the, of the ledger at, at the end of the day, you know, with, with overnight rates, you go to the repo market, you name it. So um, I think this week was really this, the Fed saying to commercial banks, guys, we're going to keep hiking. So, you know, maybe they'll, I, I think the central banks, so they will continue on that path to the three and a half percent mark or maybe higher. Unless, and here's the caveat, of course, un unless, you know, something happens to prevent them from going there, which really maybe China invades Taiwan. <laughs> well, you know, we, we need to talk I'm about kidding, that, I'm of kidding, course, I'm right? Kidding. But, you know, anything, it, it could be an economic event or geopolitical event. It, it could be anything. But again, on my desk over the last few days, it is a pretty big event to see the Fed speakers come out and say this. And it's had zero effect on the market. Like the market is now back risk on again. Uh, we've had a couple of pieces of economic data points came out and you push them together. You know, they're saying like, hey, growth is slowing, but it wasn't slowing enough to say, hey, recession is coming. It's, it's going to be big because I think, you know, like our view is that the probability of, of the economy slamming the brakes, we, we think it's a lot higher than the market is expecting. So, you know, we're and I think the data will really start coming out for for July data as well as August. So we'll start to see that in early mid-September when it's coming out. But uh, that's it. Speaking of recession talk, we had the Bank of England this morning. You guys want to talk about the, I call them the Brits. I call them the Brits. I got a lot of great friends over there. I just call them the Brits and, and that's it. But um, Steve, what did you see on the Bank of England there this morning? Uh, yeah, I was just watching it briefly before we jumped on this call, but uh, 50 basis points from the, from the Bank of England, the, the, you know, the Bloomberg reporter basically Asked, yeah, hey, you know, the market thinks you're going to get to three percent this year. Is this kind of where you think you guys will get? And he basically, you know, didn't have an answer, didn't want to give an answer. Um, just basically was highlighting the uncertainty of everything. So um, I think it's kind of just, you know, we talked about it a little bit uh, before. You know, we'll talk about it again. But basically, it seems like every central banker right now is kind of on the same. It's almost like they've been given the same script. Right. The same script, which is, hey, listen, you know, there's no more forward guidance We're we're very uncertain about the, the path forward. We're trying to sort of front load our rate hikes. But, you know, the next moves will be sort of data dependent. Um, that's basically what every central bank is now telling you. And so, again, the markets are trying to sort of interpret what is data dependent. Right. Is that how much does inflation need to come down and how much are central banks now starting to look? 
at the economic data, which is, I think, quite clearly, you know, deteriorating. I think we're seeing more and more companies talking about pausing hiring, job layoffs. I think there was, you know, Walmart this week laying off, you know, a couple hundred corporate uh, employees. You had Credit Suisse talking about getting rid of a whole bunch of people. Um, just more and more coming out of the woodwork. So, I mean, Rich, I don't know if you have any commentary on, on any of that or the economic data, uh, you know, that you might be looking at or that you think central banks might be, you know, maybe looking at or potentially even missing in the months ahead. Oh, I wouldn't presume to know what the central banks are missing. The list is probably way too long. But the the I will say the um, the the job stuff I thought was really interesting. One of the, the indicators that we tend to look at is something called the jolts. Uh-oh, I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> it's uh, basically a labor market survey. I can't remember the acronym. Sorry. I got I'll, I'll try to Google it for you while you're here. I, know uh, I, I should know that. That's really bad on me. Anyways, so job basically the opening. Jolts, there we go. Job openings and labor turnover survey. Thank you. Sorry, oh. sorry. So anyway, it's a job opening and labor market survey. There's your, there's your uh, next pickup line. Yeah, that's my next pickup line. Anyway, so, um, so one of the, so, and that was actually, it came off. And I think people were saying, you see, we told you the labor market's getting weaker and getting weaker. And and yes, I think at the margin, it's it's definitely getting weaker. I think what sort of the headlines forgot to mention that there's still in the U.S. still 1.8, 1.9 job openings for people basically unemployed. And so and it does, and I think that these vacancy rates again, you know. I get in trouble for talking about labor shortages a lot on Twitter because everybody's just like, oh, pay more wages, pay more wages. It's 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 not that simple. And it's something that maybe we'll discuss more and more as the recession starts or who knows what the recession. Oh, they used it. No, I didn't mean to use the R word. But as people talk about more weakness in, in, in the economy. Um, you know, the, the jolts data came out and it came low in lower than expected and it's starting to roll over. But, you know, context is everything. It's rolling over at basically an all time high. There are still, I think, 10 or 0.8 million job openings in America. There's 1.3 million job openings um, in the UK, I believe. Um, it's obviously a smaller economy, so there's less number there. Uh, you know, if you look at labor shortages in Canada, um, the surveys continue to be extremely, extremely high. And so, you know, in this, I think what we're about to see, you know, I'm just fleshing this idea out. So forgive me, boys. But, you know, in 2008, we saw sort of a recovery in profits and no recovery in jobs. And, and I wonder that maybe we'll start to see sort of, I mean, maybe this is optimistic, but forgive me, it's the summer and I'm an optimist, but we might see a situation where you have negative earnings growth over the next little while. And actually, jobs or job the labor market, excuse me, holds up okay. Uh, again, there will obviously be layoffs in some sectors, et cetera, et cetera. But the the, the shortages, the the structural lack of warm bodies, is I think something that will be supportive for the economy. And I think it, it's going to be hard to kind of re reconcile that with the clear slowing in economic activity. Um, and it's just something that that was, that, I think, a really important data point to keep an eye on going forward is that that jolts number and the employment number that's going to come out, I think, tomorrow, right? The first Friday of every month is the non-farm payrolls. So we'll, it we'll is. See. Yeah. Yeah. So something to keep an eye on tomorrow if you guys want to um, after this comes out, unfortunately. So because we, we recorded this on Thursday. Right? So <laughs> <it comes laughs> out on Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> I want to jump back to... Uh, what the Bank of England commented on. And uh, you, you guys just had 10-minute opportunity. It was the biggest single 
event out of the the Bank of England this morning. So not only did they raise rates, you know, by the most, you know, they, they've raised rates by before, and uh, but they've also said, hey, we're we're going we're going to go into a deep recession in Q4, which is that. Yes, yeah, they did. And it's they did, it's yeah. unbelievable yeah. for a for a central bank to say to say that the are is you know I know Rich is afraid to say it right recession <laughs> recession it's coming. Uh, did he did he just step out of line? What's here. that? What's that guy's? What's the BOE guy's name again? Oh no, I can't remember. I don't know who's head of the BOE now. Um, however, Some the point there. is, you know the the, the Fed will. You know, they don't like to use the R word. The, the Canadians don't like to use it. This guy blew it. The, the Japanese just say, well, that's what we've always had. So they, don't, <laughs> they just call it the economy over there. Um, <laughs> but to make it even, you know, more serious, again, the, the, the probability of, of something coming up. So either, you know, either the, the Brits are incredibly wrong to say that. Remember, they said it. It's, it's not a reporter or an analyst. Right. This is the Bank of England, right? It's the old lady. That's that's what the central bank is called. Over Andrew there. Bailey. That's his name. Well, I remember. Bailey. Yeah. And um, Good work, Bailey. <laughs> way to go. <laughs> the, the lads on Threadneedle Street. And um, but so either the, the Bank of England are the only guys with, with the, you know, the truthiness that, that's coming out and everyone else is wrong. Or the, the Bank of England will have to do like, you know, the the, the, the trochet move that we talked about, you know, in the last week's episode. So, uh, a, again, like read up on this. So, you know, we have the Bank of England saying, hey, we're raising rates aggressively. We think inflation is going to reach, I think they said, was it 9 or 13 percent? I forget the number they 13. came out with. 13. 13. They're saying, they're saying, tell everyone, listen, prices are going to continue to go up. And by the way, you might lose your job as well, but we're going to raise rates. And um, so, again, I think as we get into the fall, we could start to see more signs. And one sign of that that just came out of China this week, uh, they actually lowered the reserve requirements for their commercial banks. That means that that's providing liquidity to the system. And uh, yeah, I, per, I, I think the Chinese are in a lot of trouble economically. And you know, we got to you know, jump over to Taiwan as well with that. But well, that's we'll the big point we'll with get, the Bank we'll of England. There. I yeah, want to ask we'll, you a question, Keith. Keith, I want to ask you a question. So, but just so, what do you think? You know, I'm going to ask you to presume what the Bank of England is thinking. But if they're so convinced we're in a deep recession, which is that's the language they use, by the way, they use deep recession. And why why bother raising rates? Why not just like hold out? Why not just like keep rates at whatever they were? I think it was 125. Because in a recession, you're going to have destroy you have dis- demand destruction. And even in this stupid scenario where natural gas prices are 10x what they are in the US, you will have inflation come off sort of quote unquote naturally. So what like what do you what do you think is their rationale behind that? I, I don't know. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, this sounds a bit flippant, right? But you know, when, when we're managing money, like we, we never say, you know, the, the, the Fed should do this or the Bank of Canada sh- should do that. We say, this is what they're doing. This is, and, and I've always had the stance that most central banks, they're, they're very clear in communicating where they're going. And sometimes they'll trip up with it, right? So for example, again, I just circled back to the Fed. In their mind, 
the next day they said, wow, the markets didn't hear us correctly. So let's try to write this ship again. So for whatever reason, you know, the bank, I mean, the Bank of Canada, sorry, the Bank of England, you know, they raised rates because of the whole inflation story. And, and again, it's irrelevant whether I believe that will solve the inflation story. I don't think that's going to help, you know, produce more nat gas or oil for them. I don't. <laughs> Maybe maybe I'm dumb. <laughs> I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid, right? But um, again, that's what they're doing. And you're right. The biggest way to cure this inflation problem, and we've talked about this before as well. Now, yeah, you, you got you that create, right. I, I got you that create right. a two things, like a slowdown, or you know, say it, Rich. <laughs> say it. Come on, recession. recession. Yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, you know, you have financial markets, you know, the wealth effect, you know, becomes negative. You know, that, that's what the Americans have been doing. And like, I mean, I think we all agree as well that the inflation numbers, that they should start to roll over here, you know, pretty soon. But this is what the Brits have done, you know, and they said, by the way, you know, the recession is coming. And it's like, so all the guys that are sort of calling for a recession now, like they're not looking at the most recent data, like they would look at like a six month rolling average like compare that like to the peak, you know, and things like that. But there, there's a lot of data out there to suggest that if it's not going to be a recession, it, it's going to be a slowdown. And then you have to adjust it. So by the way, so with the Canadian banks, we have RBC will come out with earnings on, I think it's August 21st, 23rd, something like that. Like, um, you're already starting 24th. to see the mortgage lending. I mean, the thing that um, Steve didn't mention and relates to Keith's uh, point while he looks up the date, which is the mortgage lending is, I mean, you don't, if you, you have house prices going down or negative month on month because mortgage lending is slowed and that's obviously going to affect Keith's point about um, bank earnings. Keith, when are they coming out? Sorry. August 24th for RBC. But the big thing that I'm looking forward with Canadian banks earnings now in a few weeks is, is with their loan provisioning that's what we would call it it doesn't mean that you're writing off the loan you're making an allowance for probable bad loans coming up and uh, this is what i'm looking for to see movement in this and, and all that they should all be increasing their provisioning and if one doesn't and all the rest do then you're like okay what are these guys trying to hide because they're all lending the same markets like you know bank one versus two or three none of them are any better than the other at, at a product they're selling because they all have, you know, it's all homogenous and whatever. They all have a market share going around. But again, like Actually, I just circle it back that, we, you know, we are entering the cycle where growth could surprise everyone. You know, it's except, sorry, except the East Coast of New Brunswick because that place is <laughs> booming. Boom it's really nice. <laughs> uh, we should do our next Looney Hour live event there at the, at the trailer park. Um, no, don't be mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Get the RV. We'll just we'll do a, a convoy they're, through those Canada. Are freaking expensive. By the way. They're like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Something. Like that. We'll, anyway, be like the, we'll be like the next convoy treading through Canada. Oh, one of those. Like, I love that. By the not way, not the trucker convoys. The Looney, the Looney hour, hour convoy. convoy. We're gonna talk. One about of those uh, camper vans. The the, the Mercedes. Uh, the the sprinter i think it is you know the yeah. camper vans you know in or around the block and like it hasn't left the driveway for three years say you know walk every time mrs ice cap and i walk around i said that's what i want that one there and every time she says you realize i'm not going with you like <laughs> zero interest in, in that so, we'll go just, with you just we, make sure know, even you we'll drive around hey we'll just, just just make sure you fill out your arrive can app that's right which, what uh, is that 
Is that that popular app everyone's talking about? Oh, yeah. 4.5 rating. Yeah. (laughs) It's very popular. So Rich Rich has an interesting story. I guess. Well, it wasn't mine. I double checked something I read on the internet. Uh, Apparently, not everything you read on the internet is is true, which is missed. I didn't know that. But, um, and uh, yeah, it's got a, it's got 500,000 reviews (laughs) and it's got a 4.5 rating. And I double checked. And indeed, it has more than Uber and Tinder and, and and all kinds of very globally, I should say, popular apps um, has more reviews than all of those combined. And it's a 4.5. So, hey, all this criticism of Arrive can cannot be true because it's got a great rating on Apple. What are the so odds? You Did you what say Uber odds? had like 100,000 reviews yeah, ratings, and somehow yeah. Arrive can has 500 five times the amount of reviews uh anyways it's just such a at least we're doing something right in canada yeah that's right great great success who said our tech sector isn't booming there you go (laughs) keith Keith still doesn't know how to fill it as a rive can um but yeah getting keith doesn't get too excited about things because i'm skeptical about a lot of things and i i expect this i'm just happy to see you know the, the young guys here <laughs> the world finally, finally, under- pulled- finally yeah. understand that you know maybe things are not exactly as they're telling you you should be thinking indeed um, sound, like a, sound like a central banker no i mean so the bank of england uh yes has in fact um getting just going back to reading some of their comments here just to summarize these guys up. So they are calling for um, peak inflation of 13.3% in October amid a surge in gas prices uh, that will sharpen a cost of living crisis that will see real disposable incomes fall more than any time in around 60 years. And they're saying that the recession will last well into next year. Uh, So they're actually calling for like a prolonged, uh, recession in, in England. So they're not really mincing words, I suppose. So, I, I mean, I guess, I don't know, does, we, this is not maybe a Twinkie bet, but just a general hypothesis here is like, how much are they willing to sacrifice the economy? Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like how much, how many job layoffs do they need to see to be happy? Well, so I'm going to just, I mean, but this is the problem. Like, you know what I mean? Like you raise oh, rates. So inflation comes down from 13 to eight, seven, six percent, like and and you and you, you know, your unemployment jumps, I don't know, significantly. Like, is that is that are we better off? That's the point with all these this trouble of using inflation to fight. Sorry, excuse me, using excuse me, interest rates to fight inflation that comes from in especially in the UK. It's not so much in Canada, but especially in the UK from energy prices and oh my goodness it's my fault oh i screwed up sorry <laughs> so is this yeah i mean is this not like <laughs> lost rich <laughs> where did they go my phone <laughs> rang sorry my phone rang i owe i owe money to the to the kitty i'm sorry but yeah sorry it's it, this is the problem when you use interest rates to um try to fight inflation that comes from supply to issue, side issues which is basically energy um, I don't think it's going to affect that at all. I don't know well, they literally know. mentioned Sorry. that in their speech. They said right. inflation is going to hit 30 because of Russia, Putin. Obviously, the Putin, the Putin price hike, they're calling it. <laughs> it's pretty soon. It might be the Pelosi price hike. Oh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that meme? Have you noticed I, I can make myself laugh? It's, Pelosi it's behind cool. enemy lines. There's, I mean, uh, let's start yeah. before we cross the. Uh, the Pacific, the Rubicon. 
the, yeah. but it, it ties into your you know your question steve um so now with the so in the, every major central bank that we're following except for the ecb and, and the boj <laughs> which are two big ones but you know the the canadians the americans and, and now the brits uh you know they're they're telling us you know they don't care about the about the economy and employment they just want inflation to come down and they're going to continue to raise rates until it comes down. So that's that's the view that we should have. If you have a different view, it's unacceptable. This is, yeah, I mean, this is shaping up to be, I think, a real crap sandwich and everybody's going to have to take a bite here. Um, yeah. It's funny though, because uh, in the last two months, the markets are up 10%. So it's fascinating. Again, you know, we talked about it last week, which is this, this like back and forth between like sort of everyone consolidating around the R word <laughs> recession. And yet the markets are just like not having any of it. Um, you know, we talked about trying to figure out explanations for why things are happening. I'm guilty of trying to do that all the time. Of course, ex post. And, you know, for me, it's just about this. It's this real rates, this real rates of propped up markets, uh, propped up valuations. We'll share the chart on the YouTube. But um, it's just it's, it's basically I, I mean, we talked about it before we got on. Is, is the Fed put back on? I mean, is the market starting to call the Fed's bluff? And so for people who may not understand that, it's just like, will the Fed pivot away from this fight against inflation? And so far, the, I mean, Keith doesn't believe so. I don't necessarily believe so either. But the market is is sort of on the, on the other side of that. And that's why I think equity markets have rallied. And that's why valuations have rallied, um, despite the fact that there's been no earnings and earnings have actually disappointed in many sectors. So I don't know. July was also, I mean, it, it, you know, hindsight works pretty good sometimes. <laughs> and like July, the rally in July was, was, was pretty nice, you know, for, for equities, for credit, duration, new unit commodities didn't do that well, really. But it, it happened and people say, well, you know, why did that happen? And we've talked before, you know, you don't reconcile the economy with, with the stock market because they, they're never reconciled. Uh, but the, the markets were just so oversold on the currency side as well as equities and, and the fixed income side that, you know, this bounce, it, it shouldn't be unexpected. People say, well, how come you didn't say that back in, in June? Because you know, maybe it would happen in September, right? You just don't know when it's going to happen. But uh, nothing has really changed with the narratives that we're on. Instead of people that made a lot of money on the short side of whichever market you want to choose, they've made it. And now they've covered a lot. And now markets are getting back on equilibrium a little bit. And then, you know, we'll say, hey, where are we going to go from here? And like I said, like August is usually, you know, a sleepy month. We have one more data point coming up for the non-farm payrolls. And then we go back to, uh, you know, summer. What's your favorite summer story when you were a kid, Rich? Oh my goodness. Holy Trinity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we should just play ball hockey day and night on the street. I never see kids playing ball hockey on the streets anymore, which is a real shame. But I just, we used to just play all day long, all day long. And we'd come back and our hands would be black and- A true Canadian boy. And just, yeah, we'd just be playing street hockey down in West Mount, Montreal, and, and just all day long. And then we'd only stop for lunch for five minutes and then head right back out. Um, you know, we'd all be yelling the proverbial car and moving the net and no one wanted to play goaltender. And uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's my favorite- Strap, strap Keith in that. <laughs> Yeah, I was the kid they stuck in, right? And, uh, but you know, but like, you know, it, it is a good example. Like, summer is coming here now, you know, 
people are doing their summer stuff and you know that that is happening so we should get some downtime unless is that why something... the housing market's so slow is the housing market seasonal this is a dumb, that's a dumb question no i know you know it, it, okay it? so it it definitely is seasonal like the summer months are always very slow or like quite slow okay. i mean other than the pandemic years because like nobody was no, traveling no, i mean in fine. general in general, yes, summer is a, a slow time for real estate. It's actually typically a good time to buy real estate because uh, there's really not a lot of competition um, and there's not a lot of buyers actively looking, right? They're all on vacation. So, yeah, but I mean, that's why we always like, that's why we always do and say, okay, well, let's compare, you know, July versus all the other Julys and look at how we were performing. And that's obviously uh, the one thing I was found kind of interesting on the Canadian banking side is that we've seen this move in the Canada five-year government bond yield, right? So it's come off, it came off what hundred basis points it's now up, you know, they're 20. So whatever off 80 basis points from the highs, which interestingly enough is most, almost all of the big Canadian banks have actually not moved their fixed rate mortgages at all. That's <laughs> I, think, I think one of them moved, I think one of them moved. So again, imagine this, the five-year yield, which prices these mortgages essentially, came off a hundred basis points. One bank, I believe, dropped rates by five uh, basis points. So, I'm kind of wondering, you know, in this sort of somewhat a liquid market, you know, how much these banks are pricing in that premium, right? Of like, hey, listen, like it's we're risk off here. We're worried about the market. We ain't cutting rates. There's too much volatility in bond markets, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't know, Keith, how much how much stock and weight you put into that. It's, it's the word ritual, say out loud. Well, that's what sort of be serious about it. I mean, so central, uh, sorry, commercial banks, they, they're not lowering rates because really the credit spread has widened. Well, but, but, I mean, if you look at the US mortgage rates, they actually, actually have dropped quite a bit. So the US banks mm -hmm. seem to be passing on, um, you know, the discounting in, in, in interest rates. Yeah, but the U.S. Um, mortgage market's very housing market is very different yeah. than the Canadian market. But it, again, like for what it is, for what it's worth, it just tells me that you know the Canadian banks are not willing to lend, even though the you know, the, the five-year government rate has come down because that's come down. The commercial banks that kept the mortgage at, at the same level it means the credit spread has widened, and that's what happens when rich say it. <laughs> that's when you get a recession. <laughs> I know it's getting old, guys, but I'm just no. It's still funny. when it happens. I don't want anyone to say, "Wow, no one knew this was coming." So uh, anyway, there we are. Well, there's some other data in Canada that well, I want to talk about if we can. But okay, I know sure. And I've got I've got some questions afterwards. But oh, okay, uh, some deep questions. But Rich, well, I just wanted to talk about my favorite subject because we haven't talked about that in a while, and we got new data out. Um, basically for the Canadian for trade data came out. Oh, I thought um, you were going to talk about ESG. Oh, no, I don't want to talk about ESGs. ESG is such a freaking lie. Anyway, um, so we got some new data out. Obviously, it was um, it was this net export data. And uh, in case anybody's count keeping track at home, Canada's um, energy exports continue to prop up our current account balance. So that hasn't changed. Um, and it, and but what it was interesting is the total exports um, net exports um, X energy sort of remain quite weak. But, you know, there are some positive sides things like if you look at um, services X travel. So, you know, travel basically is um, is an export um, if people come to your country and it's an import if, if you go away. So that just so people understand. And then again, so it's just it's incredible. So the the, the net 
exports of, you know, of energy products just continues to go higher and higher, obviously because of volume, but also because of value oil prices are still quite high, even at $90 a barrel, um, $90 US a barrel. And so that was, I thought it was really positive. Um, but there is definitely some weakness sort of in other parts. I mean, you have, you know, one thing that Canada used to do a lot of, which is um, export motor vehicles and parts. I mean, that is basically at, at an hour an all-time low according to this series so there's still you know there's it's just it, it's just to remind everybody at home <laughs> how important um crude oil is to our economy sort of and why when i've been trying to convince my mother for months now to buy euros she's about to go to europe on vacation and it's just you know it tells you why you know uh, the canadian dollar is an not all-time highs but i think seven or eight year highs versus the pound and uh and the euro, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so to, okay data on the trade front. So that was that was me. That's all I wanted to say. I needed to I needed to hammer that home a little bit. <laughs> Did you know that the EU is going to exempt private and corporate jets from the green aviation fuel tax? Is that is that is that real? That's real. Remember, oh. we're all in this together. <laughs> such a joke. Um, it's not fair. <laughs> sorry, Keith. Or no, Keith. Keith PJ is exempt. Um, but I, so my question really is, you know, speaking of, of oil and gas here in Canada, um, correct me if I'm wrong with gas prices are down. They were, I mean, they, they're down for what, 40 straight days now in a row. Yeah. I, mean, I know we're coming off look at very elevated levels, but I'm just looking at some of these commodity prices, right? I mean, I'm building a property right now in Calgary. I mean, lumber prices have done a round trip yeah. back to pre pandemic levels. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it's lumber. We're not talking about, you know, oil and gas here but it seems all commodities are getting hit you know you've got falling bond yields um obviously the markets are basically pricing that recession i mean how what what's what's the biggest thing that you look towards here i mean like you've got the two tens inversion (sighs) to me it just feels like inflation i think this is me i'm not not the smartest guy by any stretch but uh is it is going to come off i think a lot quicker or harder than I think a lot of people are anticipating or maybe central banks are anticipating. Well, I mean, I, I'll let Keith handle that, that second pit, but I'll just take the first bit, which is the, the, the commodity stuff. I mean, you know, I look at like industrial metals, which are off, you know, 30%. So what are industrial metals are platinum, palladium, copper, tin, nickel, zinc. I'm not sure zinc is a metal, but anyways, um, you know, aluminum, all stuff, they're all way off. And then you could say part, partly that's a function of the China story. Definitely. They're a huge consumer, but it's just, a, it's the growth story. It's the R word that I refuse to say. Um, it's, you know, people are, just um so that i think that you're so that's that's really important but you know we are still quite a bit higher than we you know the five-year average which is what i tried to to look at and i think going forward i just you know i submit that there's just has not been anywhere near enough capex for sort of the next cycle so you know eventually after the recession things hopefully will heal and then growth will kick off again you know as cycles do but the the capex um, the capital expenditure on exploration processing, refining, et cetera, that you need to bring those metals and oil and fossil fuels to market, it just hasn't been anywhere near enough of it. And so that, so although I think that the metals have fallen for the right reason, which is worries about growth, I, I would, I would argue that the floor is, is much, much higher, I think, than, than people might um, be willing to admit or anticipate. And it's just something to keep an eye on going forward. I don't know, Keith, if you wanted to add to the last part of it. No, I see it the same way. I mean, we, uh, we know we talked about that whiplash boomerang effect that, that might come up 
soon with the economy. So again, if we, if we do get economic slowdown, commodities will sell off. And I, I know for us, we're, we're expecting, and I hate to use this word, but we're hoping it happens. No, hope is never a good strategy, right? No, you know, oh, I hope this works. But uh, if this is the way, if it plays out on the path that we expect, it will, it, it will result in lower commodity prices, but we would see that as a temporary period. Good entry and, point. Yeah, like, so whether it's, you know, a few hours or a couple of months or a couple of quarters, you, you don't quite know yet. But remember, we, we just had this euphoria going on in, in the commodity market, especially oil. I mean, oil right now, West Texas is at like 88 bucks here this morning. Wasn't it like at 104, 105 just, you know, a couple of days ago. And like at our target price for oil, like we, we could, you know, we could be by 70 bucks, you know, down by Monday or Tuesday even, unless, you know, something else happens outside of, you know, the regular economy. But I, I agree with Rich on the way that's moving. But I mean, like One the co- narrative from like, side, you know, so many market participants was like, oh, it's, you know, oil is a hundred bucks. And when it was a hundred, everyone's like, oh my God, it's going to go to 150 and then to 200. <laughs> it's always like that. You know? And it's like, oh, well, yeah, it might go to 70 or 60 bucks here. Like... I don't know. The I mean, everyone has linear thinking and the world doesn't work that way. Markets don't work that way. You know, everything will run on the cycle. That, that's the way it's going to go. And so expecting like oil goes from, like remember it went negative there a couple of years ago, you know, yeah. and by definition if it, what was the touch? Minus 25? I, I don't know what yeah, it was, it was on crazy. That, that day, right? And by the way, that's just a settlement problem. They had in the futures market that that's what it was uh it was like a hot potato you, you couldn't get caught with it but by using that definition you know oil will be at minus 200 and obviously that didn't happen and you know maybe it, it does go to 200 you know i'm sure at some point we might get there or maybe we won't or maybe if all of these uh climate change policies are really enacted around the world and it, that will drive the price of oil up by the way we need to talk about the whole fertilizer well, I've, Netherlands I've, story, which has gone to the next level of commodities in general. I mean, I'm just reading something here today that, uh, you know, the Dutch government, we've talked about the Dutch from the show before, uh, it says cows, pigs, and chickens help to make the Netherlands an agricultural powerhouse, but they also generate alarming levels of nitrogen emissions from their waste. The Dutch government has a drastic solution for the problem and it's to cut livestock numbers by a third. You will so, eat bugs and like it. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I don't know, man. It's like, you kind of read, you keep reading like all these like articles and, and news stories. And it's like this whole like world economic forum, 2030, like agenda. It's like, it's like, it, it's so like conspiratorial, but then it's like, it's actually like there. And it's like, you're seeing like governments actually enact like policies. I mean, conspiracy theories are dumb, so I will not entertain that. What I think is, you know, never ascribe malice that something could be better explained by stupidity. I think it's Harlan's razor. I think that these people are just dumb. I think that they think that if they stop producing these goods, that people will stop eating chicken, pigs, steak, etc. And it's just not going to happen. It's going to be exported to a country that gives a little less of a shit about the environment, just like our manufacturing of and refining of fossil fuels in the form of plastics or rare earth metals that are processed in China. Rare earth metals that is used in basically every single electronic good that you have is extremely, extremely dangerous and nasty to process and make into usable material. And the reason Canada, for example, no longer does it is because they can do it more cheaply with 
caring less about the environment and less about your labor market in China. So now China, for example, dominates that market. So the idea that the Dutch government are going to save the world or the Canadian government is going to save the world by, by restricting the growing of and processing of these animals to, for us to consume is stupid. They're, it'll just be moved to a different country that does not care and about the environment and cares more about growth, productivity, and efficiency. And it's and so that's why you know, I know I I'm sorry to push back so hard on the conspiracy theory thing. I think if these people just are are they can't you know they, they're just not that smart. They just don't think about the world in a holistic world thing. I think that they're they're obsessed. I mean, in some ways, I agree with you. They're all singing from the same same hymn sheet, and it is tempting. <laughs> But I think they're just not that smart. I don't know, Keith, maybe you disagree. You usually see things a bit more clear, clear eyed than I do. But yeah, I'm, I'm more of a realist than, than you, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so the, again, the way that we view this, uh, the, the trend has been established. So, so the Dutch, you know, the first they you know, made the announcement about fertilizers and here in Canada, we've done the exact same thing. I think the Italians have as well, maybe Poland, I'm not quite sure, but it's not going to surprise me if the Canadians make go, they try to make the same announcement as well. They want to call the herd, so to speak. So uh, that's where we're going, and you know, it, it creates investment opportunities. I, you know, I was chatting the with ice cap ranch, the ice cap ranch. I was chatting with a guy yesterday, and uh, you know, we we're talking about this, and he said, "Well, can we stop it?" And you know, and I said, "Well, like I said, you and I were we're both." older and we don't have the energy to you know work all day and then go down to the town square and protest because we will get tired after an hour that the only way this changes is if the younger generations get out and they make themselves vocal um so that that's you two guys not me because again i wouldn't i don't have the stamina for it but you, you get that's how you will get changed but as of right now get ready guys it, it's coming it's coming right down the middle of the plate and um I just want to add something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And I just think if Canadian government really genuinely in a real honest to goodness way cared about global emissions, the strategy should be the exact opposite. And, and I've been thinking about this a long time. It's the first time I've sort of fleshed this out out loud with you guys. But Canada should be increasing not decreasing our emissions if the stated goal is to reduce global emissions. And you say, Rich, how is that possible? Canada is a much safer and better place to produce a lot of these things. That's one. And, and I think we have a, I think we do have a moral, frankly, uh, operative to help other countries. But if just Canada were to start, for example, massively, massively exporting natural gas in a, like a systematic, structured long-term way we could basically help the world convert all of their coal fire power plants to natural gas it would take some time it would take some capex it would take some leadership but by just by doing that you could reduce emissions by 50 percent right coal versus natural gas it's a no-brainer it's almost half as far as global emissions so you know and I mean, that's just the start of it. I mean, if Canada were to produce hydroelectric dams, we could use that energy to create, uh, to liquefy, I think it's hydrogen and use that to power, um, you know, uh, fleet vehicles for, you know, certain types of companies and operations. So 
the idea that Canadians are going to turn themselves into a pretzel by trying to reduce emissions, I think is the exact wrong thing we should do. Canada should use our natural resources to reduce global emissions. And by doing that, you, we would increase our emissions marginally. But in aggregate, which is what this whole thing is about, you could actually, I could actually see a plan or make a pretty cogent you know, strategy for how you could reduce global emissions if Canada were to increase its emissions. And so it's just, it's a lack of leadership, intelligent in my view and imagination that, that's really, really holding us back. Sorry, that's my, that's my latest rant on energy. I've really thought a lot about that. And, it's, and it's, it's a real shame that no one even suggests that as an alternative. A lot of it as well is it's the private sector. I mean, like the big American and the big American oil companies, Exxon is an example. They've done more to reduce their yeah. growth and emissions output than any other entity out there. So, you know, we, we all want, you know, a cleaner environment, reduce pollution, all that stuff. And people say, well, it's not exactly that, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a different perspective. And yeah, however, they're, they're penalizing. Remember, the whole world is not on board with this. It, it's only most of the Western world, right? And um, you know, they're, they're penalizing the very entities that are innovative in, in those fields that can help out with this. So you are right, Rich. I mean, they they could go that. Again, me being me, I'm not seeing the leadership at the political side for that to happen. So therefore, you know, it's it's status quo coming up. I mean, like in in, in the like in over in uh, Britain, you know, we're going to have a new prime minister coming up soon, and um, <laughs> the two candidates are exactly the same. They were both both apart to help create all the problems that got Bojo fired, and they're they're going to say, yeah, we'll make things different. So I, I don't know, guys. It's a pretty good. Touch briefly on uh, Taiwan here before we wrap this up, but um, I don't know. I'm not a geopolitical strategist here. We've had some conversations, you know, the loony hour being out there. We've had some interesting conversations and some connections, I think, in the geo geopolitics space, which I, uh, you know, I think we're quite privileged to have. But um, yeah, this was kind of very much, I think, foreseeable. It was more of just a matter of when. And it seems like we're, we're escalating towards that point of, you know, a, a larger war, right? I mean, we've already got the Russia-Ukraine war going on. And, and you know, now China's making moves for Taiwan. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this. I'm actually more curious about it from, like, again, you know, we talk about, like, recessions and inflation. I mean, typically speaking, war, as we're seeing it, is inflationary. Um, so, I mean, if this thing escalates even more, I, I, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how this all comes comes home to sort of roost here, right, with the inflation story. You get another war. It's going to be hard. Like, trying to raise rate interest rates again on, on these debt loads when you're in a war, I, I just, I mean, was it world war two rich where they, they capped yields? Yeah. Like I, 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 yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, that's so I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. You're like, if I'm a central banker, I just, I don't think any of this can be solved by necessarily hiking rates here. If we're going to go through, if this war is going to escalate, but I don't know if, what your guys thoughts are. Do you, do you want me to go? The, uh, remember, uh, Everything happens for a reason. There's no random decision taking place here. And, you know, the head of the house, Nancy Pelosi, she did not on a whim decide, hey, let's go to Taiwan and, and hang out over there. 
because the White House said, no, no, she's autonomous with her decision and itinerary, all that stuff. That, that ain't that ain't what happened at all, guys. It goes back to, again, that the White House and the Democratic Party, they are, they are going to lose so many seats coming up here in a, in a couple of months. And as I mentioned before, they've had zero success in any of these big ticket items. So last week, you know, the whole recession rant and that fell flat, and like people don't care about it. And then you say, well, and again, this is me, okay? But then you say, well, let's let's do something else to create a distraction. You know, they call Nancy and say, hey, we're going to send you to Taiwan, and we're going to make a really big deal out of this. Which, which of course, this is what happened. So, um, and of course, the Chinese they have to respond to that because they have their own internal. Uh, domestic problems right now. And I don't know if anyone has saw, you know, the, the Chinese propaganda videos going out. Remember, the Americans are pretty good with propaganda, and uh, you know, CNN. so are the Russians, so are, yeah, so are the Chinese, so are the Europeans and the Chinese. We we all do it, right? You know, even the loony hour sometimes. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, she was sent over there to create a, a distraction because something is needed to get people away from viewing, you know, all the bad things that are happening, you know, economically in, in the U S so the Chinese, of course, they, they, you know, you know, one of my friends, he's really close to this. And I said, the Chinese, are they going to shoot her down? And he said, no, he said, they wouldn't dare do that. He said, but after she leaves, they'll start doing stuff. So, you know, they, they basically, um, you know, they, they've circled the island, you know, they, they've, they've stopped trade coming in or out. Uh, you've probably been following it today. Well, not you quite. Know, it was one product. It was one product that they banned, no? But anyways. Sand. Well, yeah, but all the warships, like they've surrounded yeah. the, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of tight, right? It's getting it's, hot. It's, hot under yeah, the collar. <laughs> hot under the collar. Um, you know, so that's happening there right now. And everyone's wondering, you know, what's, what's the next move and, and stuff like that. But you know, both what is sides the next have to Keith. I don't know. Again, you know where they pushed it. And the next move right now, both sides have won because the Americans went and landed and, you know, they, they drank tea and stuff like that. And then the Americans have left. And now, so the, you know, the Chinese, and they've surrounded the island and they're, they're showing their, I mean, right now today, like they're firing missiles left and right over the island. Some are landing in the Sea of Japan and all that. You know, they're not hitting anything. They're just, you know they're they're marching down down the square basically, so I, I suspect this will die down hopefully. But if it doesn't, it goes to the next level. And as I mentioned before, uh, financial conditions in in China as well as Hong Kong, like it's it continues to go in the in the wrong direction. So just as the West has the problem with inflation, with rates going up and all that. You know, over in China, they had the real estate problem taking place, which is hurting the banks. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty big 48-hour news story. And right now, the Chinese said they're going to, you know, they're going to, uh, they're doing the war games, I think, f until the 7th of August for four days of this. And again, you start tuning, who knows what you're going to hit. So They say nothing unites a country like war. That's right. Who, who says that? I, don't know. I made it up, Steve. You made it up. <laughs> Rich's mom. I, can I make some, I just, my mom? Hey, leave my mom out of it. Um, but um, I want to make two points just on the China thing. One is a political point. I think um, we should be very, very careful to, to separate the Communist Chinese Party, the CCP, or the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP from the actual people there. I think that we need to stop treating that 
party, that political entity that that is the totalitarian leader of that country with kid gloves. I, I think we should need to stop treating them as a ally because they're absolutely not when it comes whether whether it's solar panels whether it's rare earth metals whether it's the the money that's infiltrating british columbia through casinos whether it's buying up land in canada or um you know um lobbying universities for this and that i think we just need to be way 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 more skeptical about that political entity and the other thing I think is really, and what I think is more interesting is the capital markets thing, which I think we didn't really touch on, but the, you know, China trades at an enormous premium relative to other emerging market countries, um, sort of at a forward earnings discount is another way of saying it. Um, it, it. There's this flow, there's an outflow that's starting to sort of accelerate from the equity standpoint. Um, Keith mentioned Hong Kong. Um, I just think it's, it's a, you know, I think they're, they're not really included in the MSCI to the degree that reflects their weight in the global economy. I think that will persist. Um, and I just think that it, it sort of adds to sort of the narrative of the bifurcation of the world that we're starting to, to watch, right? This like Chinese currency block, which includes Russia, maybe Brazil, maybe Iran, and then the US block. And I just think this is it, fellas. This are the rest of our lives will be dominated, in my view, anyway, by this sort of China versus U.S. and all the rest. In my view, is details. Maybe that's a conversation for a different day. But it's just the fascinating sort of the finance. The there's a financial schism that I think is sort of growing, and I think whether it's it's the outflows, whether it's MSCI inclusion, whether it's SWIFT, whether it's a number of different things. I think this is gonna this chasm is gonna grow and grow and grow. I'm just worried about my mortgage rate. <laughs> I think that's oh, a good dear. place. Good wait, place wait, wait. Oh, 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 okay. You know, there's one thing China could have easily have done if they're, you know, witty. When Pelosi is, you know, visiting Taiwan, they just had to put Xi on a, on a plane to Cuba to <laughs> announce, hey, we're, you know, and then see how the Americans like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's true. Like, Rich, you are right. Like something, it, like, this can't continue. You know, something will happen somewhere. And I suspect you will least some kind of a false flag of, of some sort will pop up. No, come on. Then it, oh boy. <laughs> Rich, say recession. Come on, say it. You can say oh, it. God. But anyway, there we go, guys. I think that's if, another. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to know what's going to happen, just look at uh, Nancy Pelosi's trading account. Oh my goodness. Watch her position. How are they allowed to do that? It's wild to me. Just watch your positioning. That'll tell you what yeah, the next move is. Yeah, tells you everything what's going on. That's true. Uh, that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, as always, we appreciate your guys' support. One thing that we ask is that you continue to share this episode with at least one family or friend and help us beat Arrive Can. Leave us some reviews. Uh, we, we need to get a, a few more reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that good jazz. So uh, as always, we appreciate your support and we'll see you next week.